so good morning and good evening everyone today we have professor bramar mukherjee from the university of michigan uh, who is very much well known for her work around statistics and biology uh, more formally a biostatistician um, and uh, professor bramar mukherjee joins us from kolkata today uh, thankfully we have her in our time zones and we want to chat with her today on her work uh, around the coronavirus uh, situation both in the us and india her perspectives given that she has recently traveled from us to india and what she has seen both on the supply side response and policy response and also as a citizen what she's observing in terms of the goods and bads between these two countries in the way they have responded to um, the the pandemic so thank you very much professor mukherjee uh, we appreciate your time for our podcast um, any opening words uh, would be appreciated and then off you go if you can start on your perspectives as a scientist and also as a citizen thank you so much yantun i really appreciate this opportunity to having uh, to have the opportunity to speak with your viewers i think that i'll first start with the a little bit of history that uh, at university of michigan we have been modeling the coronavirus pandemic in india since march so our first paper came out in march on march 20th which is one of the first models that appeared in a formal way in the literature and the way we started this modeling was much more of an altruistic reason not for an academic reason but really a group of us a scientist of indian origin in united states mostly uh worrying about our parents and our loved ones and worrying about india and what is going to unfold in india in the next 10 months um mm. though india has a much younger population we were worried about the fragile healthcare system access mm. to healthcare as well as the comorbidities that reside in indian population so from there from march to november in this last 10 months i feel like our science has really learned a lot science has progressed at a war time speed and also as citizens we have learned how to manage and mitigate our personal risks so mm. i think there is this macro science perspective that we see in our academic and scholarly work and then my own because nobody is uh, devoid of this reality context so in my own personal life how do i manage and mitigate these risks so this duality and the juxtaposition of science and realism has been quite uh, inspiring and a learning lesson for myself so you know in a, in united states we have seen united states and india are obviously the two uh, countries with the largest number of case counts and so there are similarities but mostly differences in terms of how the pandemic has exploded in the country in the two countries as well as the country's response to the pandemic yeah. and there are of course some common themes as well so what i have been noticing one is the public response right so mm. in united states uh, some of the non pharmaceuticals public health interventions became highly highly political and right. here i see a much more uniform messaging whether the public is adhering to it that's a different story but yeah. from the government about wearing masks about washing hands so there is an uniform sort of messaging and also testing i feel like testing is much much i have gotten tested three times in india in the last three weeks and it has been much easier than getting tested in michigan so mm. there are pros and cons and it's a, it's a very interesting situation that how a low resource setting 
with mm. such a burden of population and highly dense population deals mm. with this pandemic and how we are highly resource setting with science and healthcare is battling it. And the outcome I would say has been much worse in US because mm -hmm. of several confluence of several factors. So we could start with the preface and then move on with our conversation, Chiranta. Great point. And that brings me to think about how is it that we, we, we talk about India being a very heterogeneous country. Those of us who are working in health know of this recent uh, Lancet paper, which talks about India being a nations within a nations. And yet when um, calamity has struck, as you rightly said, there is, seems to be some harmonization in uh, policy messaging that is happening both at the center level as well as the, uh, as well as the state level. Uh, any any um, uh, thoughts as to how that has been accomplished and what that means for the next 12 months since we are 10 months down the pandemic? What we learned from in terms of how we can behave better, normatively speaking, for developed nations by looking at, let's say, resource-starved nations like India. Yeah, so, you know, our first paper uh, on this nation versus state heterogeneity appeared um, on Med Archive about in May. It's about to come, it just got accepted and coming out in British Medical Journal. And we pointed out this heterogeneity and the concept of a national peak is very mm. nebulous because you just see local regional peaks. And mm. as you can see, you know, Delhi is probably in its third peak and mm. maybe second wave. Uh, so uh, when India is really a, a conglomeration of all of these different all nations, yeah, all, all the all the nations, nations within nations, and the policies have been heterogeneous because there is a state and uh, center partnership in terms of managing health. Mm -hmm. But what I see is that the central messaging, which is a long-term coordinated strategy and messaging that first of all a national lockdown sent the message that this is an important disease, right? Mm -hmm. So you cannot really, it's not a hoax, it's, mm -hmm. it's real. And the guidance is even when I was in Delhi, there were announcements in the market that if you don't wear your mask, there will be a penalty, your shop may be shut down. Mm -hmm. And so these kinds of uh, pay, uh, like payoffs and like incentives and uh, warnings, I think cautionary notes are very important from a government perspective. I also think, uh, that, you know, it, it going forward, it would be very important to coordinate this type of public-private partnership, which has been a tremendous success for India in terms of scaling up testing and mm -hmm. also uh, distribute healthcare. So when in March, the 21-day national lockdown happened, yep. we really did not have any capacity for testing. And yep. our care in terms of COVID stream and non-COVID streams uh, this was really, really not organized. So I think right. that the lockdown really helped us to think through and bolster that. And there came the really the all the labs which scaled up their testing capacities and the different forms of testing, full testing and rapid antigen testing, RT-PCR testing and serological surveys. This has been a huge success. We do not have a national serological survey in the United States and India has done that. And I'll definitely recommend doing that repeatedly and also keep like surveillance and clinical testing in mode. The biggest challenge is going to come in the next couple of months with respect to vaccine vaccines, right? Yeah. So how do we do that? And how do we prioritize risks? And maybe we do have a registry of frontline healthcare workers, but what about people with comorbidities 
-hmm. what about people older people where is that roster and the database how are you going to track that down in order to create a vaccine roadmap this is where the state and the gov central government partnership is going to be critical along with healthcare and public health because how to do the messaging how to vaccinate in interior parts of india how do you track all of this map of vulnerabilities because you don't want the digital divide to creep in in terms of accessibility to vaccines as well so lots of collaboration will be needed towards that direction so i want to probe a little bit on the testing um, testing anecdote that you mentioned because i feel from there we can also segue nicely into the vaccine discussion so while yes uh, internationally benchmarked it does seem like it has to be appreciated how india has uh, either through procurement strategies internationally or through domestic entrepreneurship shown by labs and uh, scientists have been able to scale up i mean we also now have this crispr test that has come out by these scientists uh, being rolled out through the apollo chain and the tata diagnostic labs but at the same time every now and then you see discussions um, on how india is suppressing test numbers or purposefully moving tests from rt pcr to antigen testing right uh, just i think yesterday ndtv had an article that 3.4 million numbers are being underreported and we know that in infectious diseases like even in smallpox there is a lead and lag of actual numbers versus uh, the what's being reported while the disease is rolling out perhaps the reason for all of this is that basically i think there is at one end some confidence uh, in terms of what the government is doing perhaps and at the other end there is acceptance in some sense right so we are somewhat of whatever we get we feel fortunate about it in fact we are so used to not getting so many things that we feel fortunate with whatever whatever we get that's one second is some, maybe our institutions are slightly more relaxed about approvals the fact that you couldn't do national surveys around the us perhaps needs regulatory clearance those regulatory clearances perhaps are a little more tractable and manageable in india is my sense of it um which is why you see quick rollouts quick entry of different technological versions of tests or go and do all these seroprevalence tests across telangana or mumbai or delhi or ahmedabad etc because so many approvals perhaps are not required either from whoever the relevant regulatory authorities are and we know that in us to get all those stuff done you have to go through multiple loops and sometimes things get lost any reactions to those two issues one the trust issue that uh, let's say population may or may not have which may have facilitated unintendedly um, a better show on the testing infrastructure and the second is uh, the role of regulations and institutions here should rich economies like let's say oecd economies be learn from being a little more flexible on institutions when pandemic strike any thoughts there so a couple of thoughts one let us let me first talk about the under reporting issue Mm. So uh, we have been reporting and uh, that in our papers that there is an underreporting factor of about one is to twenty mm. uh, in major metros uh, uh, at least in India, and mm -hmm. so the underreporting comes from two issues. One is people who are not getting tested at all, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. we know that there is a high degree of asymptomatic infections, mm -hmm. and the percentage of covered infections in a place like Delhi or Maharashtra. is around 98% of the infections are not being detected so you can see that how small the tip of the iceberg that we are seeing right now yeah so that's one part 
And then given the people who are being tested, there's underreporting. And this underreporting is sort of dangerous because the RT-PCR test is also not very good in terms of false negative. It could have mm. 20% false negative. The false positive rates for these tests are lower. And then when you come to rapid antigen tests, some of the tests in India has false negatives of around 40%, right? So it is as mm. good as like, you know, not tossing a coin. So, but, um, but what I'm saying is that you have to really understand when you think about the testing strategy that uh, for the cost of one RT-PCR test, you can possibly do 10, let us say, uh, a rapid antigen test. So if I actually repeat antigen tests, and these are probabilistic, then yeah. you can you can actually increase the accuracy. So you have to think about that. And also, when we recommended the antigen test at the time, India did not have the capability of doing large-scale RT-PCR testing because of expense and also prohibitive resources and structure. So the large-scale rapid antigen test is more for surveillance, not mm -hmm. for clinical diagnostic testing. So if you Terms really persist and you get a rapid antigen test, you should not be complacent with the false negative and go around and spreading the disease with your family and friends. If you have symptoms, you have to follow that with an RT-PCR because that's the gold standard clinical diagnostic testing. But when we are doing population-based, like, you know, surveillance that I want to check, then repeated, like even the testing a person three times with rapid antigen test over a period of time can give you a good idea of community prevalence. So we should not get these two mixed up in terms of diagnosis uh, versus surveillance or just keeping a tab on whether there is an outbreak or not. Okay. And so I think that that's, that's, that's something that we need to understand. And false negatives of these tests are particularly uh, concerning because you have a false sense of assurance that you do not have the disease. Yeah. So maybe you're even more overzealous. So yeah. the basic mandate is that if you have any kind of symptoms, self-isolate. Regardless of the test, what the test says, then wait for a two, three-day period and employers and family members and society needs to support an individual towards mm -hmm. that. It's hard for people and daily wage earners if there is a strong penalty. But mm -hmm. I'm seeing that even at, at our household level, there is a constant messaging. My mom is telling the household health that please, if you cough, please don't come to work because we are at risk. So I think these types of, so this social response is very different in India mm. than the United States, right? So uh, so, so I wanted to decouple that testing strategy. So I think that this is very important to keep in mind. And then going forward, right? So what? So there is a if you what is the expectation of the public from the government? You mentioned that our expectations are so low that whatever we get, we are happy. That's one strategy to be content. But I have to say that there is this all over the world. You are seeing this fatigue, this desensitization. This yeah. rebellion against uh, interventions and restricting people's life, question about freedom, question about happiness. Hmm. So I think we have to think about the other components of human life. Coronavirus cases is only one metric. There are deaths and morbidities happening because of people are not seeking care due to other diseases. Mental health, loneliness, solitude. So many parents are waiting alone because their kids and the family cannot visit them. 
So this is also taking a toll on our society. And, and missed, missed chemotherapies and postponement of other medical interventions as well, yeah. Yes, you know, I work a lot with cancer patients. Even in Michigan, delay in care in cancer patients is going to have a huge effect on their survival. And we have to sort of convince the people that what are the risks? What are the relative risks for dying from coronavirus or really having a recurrence of cancer that mm -hmm. may metastasize because you are not doing your regular checks? So, mm -hmm. so this, this, this communication is very important. And to view this problem in the coming months in a holistic way so that we can provide support from other causes mm -hmm. and we as a society are prepared to heal from this pandemic. Mm -hmm. Even with the vaccination, it has taken a mental, emotional and health toll on an economic force on, severe sec on, on the various sectors of the society. And so um, it seems like a philosophical thing to say, but we will need to heal at a very granular level in the coming years and coming months. Very well said. Um, anything about the institutional part, maybe what the richer world can learn from being institutionally agile and responsive? So, yeah, so I have I have learned quite a bit in the last three weeks, you know, first, first of all, what I see is a great deal of mass adherence in yeah. the working class people, the cab drivers, yes. I did not expect it, the cab drivers, the household help, the street vendors on the shops, I think they are afraid that they, if they don't do it, they're not yeah. going to be business, and there will be another lockdown. Yeah. So I think this sense of seriousness was really uh, striking to me when I first got in Delhi. Very and, the, and the second, so I, I and, and that I did not see uh, when even when I was in Michigan that mm. people were at a grassroots level universally taking that so seriously. All the masks are not perfect, right? The wearing, covering of right. the nose, that's not perfect. The but behavior, they're trying, they're trying. Yeah. They're trying. The behavior, the effort is important. Then if we think about like how the pandemic was managed in really slums and very highly densely populated areas, that's something to learn for the whole world. There is not, not universal random testing or universal mandatory testing, but the health workers door-to-door -door checking of symptoms, yeah. fever, cough. Another thing which is very important is the centralized facilities, clean facilities for centralized isolation and quarantine, because most Indian households are highly populated and densely populated, it's impossible to self-isolate in your home. So to take that case outside to prevent cluster and neighborhood infection, that's something to learn. And again, I mentioned about testing already, that when you have home collection protocols, and even if you don't have insurance, you pay only like 1500 to 2000 rupees which is 20 to 25 dollars whereas in us out of pocket cost for an rt pcr test ranges somewhere from 150 to 300 dollars why is that so you have to think about like what is the economy and the availability and the demand and supply doing something is not working mm -hmm. and of course political leadership very bipartisan fragmented messages in the US has really harmed. Um, and then came the election and also lots of rallying and social uh, you know, turmoil has also had a, had a major role to play. But right now in the US, it is 
really spreading like wildfire. And I'm really concerned about that. Um, because the, and another thing which is very different between the two countries is the fatality, the rate of fatalities. And so US has had a much higher case fatality ratio and an infection fatality rate. So why is that? Is that biological or like a certain strain of the virus or is it the hospital response system? Or yes, they're catching so it not... late. They're ignoring it and catching it late by that time, the likelihood of getting more mortality, morbid patients are higher. Uh, any sense there? So I think it's, a, it's a, again, a, probably a composition of many different things. Okay. So India definitely has a younger population, right? Mm -hmm. So, but that does not explain the age pyramid structure being different in the two exactly. countries. And there has been several paper uh, by economists and demographers does not explain the difference in mortality rates. Uh, I think the comorbidities and the older population is definitely an issue. But also with the winter coming, I think I that in cold areas, people gathering together in closed spaces, India has a much more open air, right? Air conditioning is less common. People's lifestyle of work, being outside is important. Cross immunity, mm -hmm. being exposed to so many different infections and mm -hmm. uh, vaccinations as well. Genetics could have a role to play. We do not completely understand. Mm. Uh, but even if I take the death under reporting, another thing which I think is different between the two countries, there is a, there is a degree of under reporting in terms of deaths in the US as well. Mm. Because you cannot always attribute the cause of death to coronavirus. Mm. But I feel in India, it has been really, really um, rampant. Because I know of many cases where there was a death post COVID Due to post-COVID complications, it is never really registered that as a COVID-related yeah. death. It's heart failure or kidney disease. So you're missing a lot of deaths on that account. And yeah. one out of five deaths in India normally are medically reported. And then we have that. So I think that it is really important to create a cohort of COVID survivors mm -hmm. to understand what is the rate of death going mm -hmm. forward right, as a cohort, is there any excess death? And we can compare it to the population and see that what is the real impact of COVID over a time period? Yeah, the BBC just wrote an article, Sotik Biswas wrote an article covering these two Kerala gentlemen who every day were coding from the obituaries in the Malayali newspapers, deaths. And they showed like, I think it's 3,300 deaths in Kerala. Uh, as per their calculations, but the officially reported deaths is 1900 odd. And, and that practice of like using unusual sources to track what has happened to deaths and then reconciling it with the official numbers, I think will bring the reality closer to the one reported. And you are absolutely right there. Uh, one small little thing that I wanted to bring up here was um, when you're talking about deaths, reporting and uh, testing um, and uh, how we should look as citizens to the government. Of course, we have a role, we have a third role, which is we are the scientists in this troika. Uh, we are supposed to inform and hopefully impact uh, policymaking. Transparency seems to be a big issue, right? The big theme is that transparency is a big issue. And it was the standards were set. Some of the big puzzles as to why pricing is different, why death rates are different are there. And we will probably solve it as, as a scientific community. But uh, transparency standards were set with the Hopkins dashboard uh, in the beginning of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. 
it was not there in a china india has immediately latched onto a dashboard yes it might one can argue that it's not perfect and stuff like that and uh, how do we carry forward that spirit of transparency and data to the vaccine situation because one can be less assured that whether it's oxford vaccine or gamalaya vaccine or the domestically done vaccines there would be adverse events how does the government manage that data share that data and accordingly create a response around that data is something i'm very curious to learn about any reactions there yeah that's an excellent question because we really need like you know we have to gather safety data on the vaccine mm. long long after it has been released and rolled out because yeah. some are short term acute effects and some are long term effects and we really really need to know so um i think that again you know in europe there is an advantage of having the national health system right. or an universal like connected electronic health record so that every time you seek a healthcare and be it distributed through the government or private you scan this id so uh -huh. uh, i think a few months ago i heard uh, that there is a effort like that in india yeah. to give everybody a health id so yeah. that you can digitally connect it regardless of where yeah. you go to seek your healthcare yeah. so that's the only way because even in a country like united states with a without an connected universally connected electronic health records yeah. it will not be clear maybe i get the vaccine in michigan but then i know all my health effects happen in mm -hmm. a hospital are recorded in a hospital in california mm -hmm. and so i will never be able to map this to my vaccination record if i don't have a national registry for it or i do not have a digitally connected system so i think this is incredibly important for india not just to track uh health effects but also to distribute the vaccines yeah. right who have how many people are at risk of high heart high risk of heart disease how many people are immune compromised right now we do not have any idea and we yeah. may have that idea in some urban metros in some uh particular hospitals but what happens in rural areas how can we tap into asha workers and community health workers to understand what is happening in a village so it has to be a ground up process of building this network of really understanding the health map of the country and i think that india has been a data deficient environment for a long long, long time. time just cannot afford it we just cannot afford it as you mentioned that we have to learn from this experience this is not the last epidemic or yep. a pandemic that we are seeing we have to be positioned in order to combat the future and this universal health id for everyone just like the aadhar card i think is extremely important for india to roll out yeah and uh, there are spillovers to other positive ways through which this kind of a system can help in uh, healthcare policy interventions though that being said i do want to highlight as well that the government previous or the new one uh hasn't done a great job in generating trust around privacy issues and security issues whether it's aadhar card or um i mean i guess this is how india operates uh, part of it is thumping down from the uh, top and the rest of it is somewhat adoption and then we roll on and make things like quasi legitimate um so we'll see how arogya setu for example i mean this app has been there so many folks have downloaded it i see my uh like these vendors who are de delivering over zomato registering their temperatures i wish government had actually 
socialize that data just like the safe graph data has been socialized to track mobility patterns in the us i would love to see zomato or Arogya Setu and all these kinds of data environment that is there socialized so that people get confidence in the digital environment in sharing their data else it will become a little bit a little bit like of um, authoritarian tendencies could come in the way um, technology will be adopted absolutely um, like you know you have to just like in every economic product you have to sell your product to the public and if the public saw that by using this data in the say the mobility pattern data yeah. you are saving lives yeah for example in south korea they have such level of information including where you are swiping your credit card but when the public actually sees that with that we have single digit case counts yeah. Yeah. Then you say yes. I'm going to do it. I will it. share my data. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Some fragment of the population still may not, but a large fragment of the population will do it. So the use of this data and data is the new coinage, and and actually really, really to show and demonstrate to people what scientists can do with data. India has such a advanced in like you know machine learning, AI, computational infrastructure to get all of this harness that untapped sources. and give them this data and build really thoughtful granular level models i think it's going to be uh, then people will buy in uh, you need that buy in and the trust in order to roll out these ideas which are all have a very good uh, like you know kernel of a very potential of really be game changing but you have to show instead of proprietarily holding the data and nobody understands how you're using it you really have to demonstrate that through science mm. and then in that way the virus may suddenly change the normal in the way we have been dealing with data over the last decade or something like that so let's hope for the best uh, so maybe that would be a good outcome of the pandemic if there is a yeah. complete overhaul of yeah. india's health data infrastructure yeah yeah absolutely fully agree with you uh, i hope people are listening everywhere uh, and making those changes that they have to make um maybe this is a good time we are ending the we are almost close to the uh, like the last section of our chat uh, it's a good time to document what are the learnings from this pandemic for tomorrow for the world and maybe from let's say these two settings that we are talking about us from us for india and from india for us uh, any listing of thoughts and puzzles to look after um from where we can be better prepared for tomorrow's pandemics because pandemics are coming i mean uh, there's no way uh, this is going away um, new 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 versions of this will come we know that bill gates has been talking about it for some time now broad lessons as society so i'd like to throw a new spin to this that we need to understand both prevention and treatment mm -hmm. so prevention is often very hard to invest in if in if in if a country like india or us had a really active and thoughtful pandemic response team mm -hmm. that the maintenance of this team is probably going to cost about a, say a billion dollars um, in a decade but when you have and, and people cannot immediately see the uh, advantage of having that preventive uh, measures and preparedness because it's not happening so we are really wasting money but it's just like you know even if wars happen once in a lifetime yeah. you still have your army prepared all the time and yeah. so that's true for healthcare as well and prevention is hard we always we don't want to change our behavior we don't want to stop smoking we don't want to exercise we don't want to change your our diets we want the physicians to fix it 
right? Mm -hmm. There is an overemphasis in all the cultures on treatment rather mm -hmm. than modifying your behavior in mm -hmm. towards a healthier and better world. So in, but medicine is really a composition and union of both public health and healthcare. So okay. I think that that message of prevention, and right now we are trying to prevent and slow down the virus so that the healthcare capacity does not get overwhelmed. One thing which has been common and inspiring in both the countries is the effort by our healthcare workers. Yeah, yeah. So inspiring and we have seen so many heroes who just want yeah. to make people get people um, better and so if you look at that spectrum uh, i think that there is a lot of respect for healthcare heroes but we have to have really value placed on prevention and public health and data is a very much a part of both prevention and treatment as we are seeing uh, with clinical trials, with vaccine distribution, we have to how to deploy PPEs and resources, not just epidemiologic models to predict case counts, but also use it at a resource allocation level because we have finite resources. So I think to be nimble and agile with data takes you a long way in today's world. And I think that um, both the countries have to learn from that uh, and then, you know, political agenda and partisan politics should really take a backseat when it's a question of survival for humanity. And mm -hmm. I think that we need, we both the countries probably have a long way to go. The third thing I think that we have really not focused on the mental health or the humanity yeah. aspect of it. We have just gone on science, 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 but really- The healing part, yeah. It's, it's a really social, uh, chaos right now and everybody is suffering to take that aspect of the human tragedy and to really place value on hope, optimism. This is really, really important. These are intangible things. These are not medicine for the body, but you need medicine for the mind as well. And I think we have underplayed that. And that is something to learn in both the countries in times of isolation, what social support, social cohesion, family, all of these things mean to us. Um, another thing is this, the disparity, right? The distribution of loss from yeah. Detroit, Michigan to Dharavi, Mumbai has not been equal. There are structural inequities in our society that we must address in order to have a healthier, more equitable world. Excellent point. So just to summarize, we need to invest in uh, long-term preventive programs in the vein of what, let's say, US already had, but then it, I think, disbanded the pandemic response preparedness teams. Um, second, we need to believe in healing ourselves. I mean, it's not just about a scientific response, but also about taking care of so our social uh, our social shocks that we are receiving as uh, in different cultures. Uh, the third is understanding the structural in inequities uh, that you mentioned from Detroit to Dharavi, very well said. Am I missing? I think I'm missing one fourth point, which is um, struggling to get it. Uh, what was data, it? the importance of data, of data. right? Yeah, so yeah. Both healthcare and public health. And right. another thing is that, you know, uh, Pol the political, political aspects you mentioned, yeah. Partisan politics. So that's a part of the societal chaos. Uh, I also want to mention that once a pandemic like in a, in a hundred year happens, just think about like if we have, we're better prepared, then, um, then in, in the cost of maintenance, 
is actually much less than all of these economic stimulus packages that are being given out right now. If you think about the trillions of dollars that yeah. are going out, it is yeah. much easier to maintain a pandemic response team for a billion dollar investment over time. So, so that that perspective, that wiser and long term mm. perspective, has to be gained by all of us. Awesome. Uh, any dear last thoughts from your side for our viewers? You know, I think um, as much as I have done my modeling and relied on quantitative work. I have found a lot of solace and inspiration from reading about history and also poetry, literature, art in the time of such crisis for humanity. During big wars, during pandemic, uh, during the 1918 influenza pandemic. And this has been inspiring that, you know, this is not new. Um, and I'd like to conclude with Rilke's poem that let everything happen to you, uh, the beauty and the terror, just keep going. No feeling is final. Thank you so much. I also love Rilke. Uh, thank you so much for your time. And we really appreciate uh, taking out uh, this schedule for us for our from your busy uh, class schedules. I know you're juggling time zones between Michigan and Kolkata. So thank you very much. Wish you safe year ending wishes. And hopefully we'll be able to host you in campus uh, once these things subside. Uh, thank you very much again. Thank you, Rantan. And one of the best parts of modeling and getting involved in this work has been my connection with the scientists in India. And so I found a new community of friends here. And, you know, after all of the science and all world, all said and done, it's friends that matter the most. So, Indeed. Uh, yes. So thank you very much. Thank you.